0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen with David Gura. Daily we bring you insight from the best of economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course on the Bloomberg. Bloomberg Surveillance worldwide, nationwide. Thrilled you're all with us right now. And, David, I'm going to let you lead this off because you are far above Cayuga's waters, and I guess the lead here is far above the East River's waters is where we're going, right?
1: Yeah. So uh, I have two connections here, one of which, yes, I did go to Cornell. I was also a student at Columbia Journalism School, and you are assigned a neighborhood to cover while you are a student there. Roosevelt Island was the neighborhood that I had, and it was uh – an interesting, peculiar – I say that in a positive way – Place back when I was covering it because it was at a point
2: of transformation. New buildings were going to be constructed. And were of you this uh, covering it when they had a psychiatric hospital it? there? <laughs> Short, and, it was uh, shortly thereafter. And a smallpox hospital and a prison. It's been a lot of things. Let me ask you, Mike, about that because when I was say there, there was a very quirky issue of governance.
1: Albany had a lot of control over Roosevelt Island yeah, for, for a number a- of years. How did you get this idea to do
2: something with it? This was six years ago you were thinking. Well, the about idea it. came from a guy named Bob Steele, who was our Deputy Mayor for Economic Development, and Seth Pinsky, who ran the Economic <laughs> Development EDC. Uh, um, and they came up with the idea. I When they told me, I said, that's never going to work. And they said, well, it might not work, but you're due to speak this evening to 25 universities who've already signed up to try to win the competition. Uh, and that's where that's the, the genesis of it. Uh, mm. but, but the whole idea here is that businesses are created where the creators go to school. That's why Silicon Valley has so many companies. It's a great place, but it's you know, kind of rural and not anything else there other than a great university in Stanford. And New York has great universities, but we want to have more engineering students because those are the ones that are going to create the businesses that will create the jobs this country needs. You recognize the voice through the three-time mayor of New York
1: City, Mike Bloomberg, uh, majority owner of Bloomberg LP, of course, the parent company of uh, Bloomberg Radio and Bloomberg Media. Joined by him and Daniel Hutton-Locker as well. He's the founding dean and provost of Cornell Tech, which is going to be dedicated today uh, on Roosevelt Island. Uh, Cornell, founded in 1865, part of this land-grant, project. There's a a continuity here between that and what we're seeing here today.
3: There is. This is very much like a modern-day land grant. Uh, In fact, down to the fact that our mission at Cornell Tech is both academic excellence, but also economic and societal impact in New York City, very much harking back to the original Land Grant Act, which was around agriculture and engineering, the sort of practical sides Mm -hmm. of academia.
0: Every kind of school wants somebody a different character. A guy named Bloomberg was at Johns Hopkins a few years ago with a slide rule in his hand. I was in a slide rule in Boulder, Colorado, and in, in Rochester. What kind of student do you want at Cornell Roosevelt Island?
3: So the, the students that we both want and that we're attracting at Cornell Tech are students who both have the academic excellence that you would normally expect yeah. at Cornell, but also have a real passion about doing something That's outside of the classroom. So our students are all engaged with local companies, with uh, city agencies, with local nonprofits, taking their fundamental knowledge that they're learning in the classroom and putting it
0: into practice. So this is critical. And Mike, jump in here. You're going to jump in whether I say to or not. (laughs) But Dean, very importantly, what is the distinction of what you're doing versus Silicon Valley?
3: So, for example, just to pick an example of a student project from last year, a group of our students worked with the mayor's office on domestic violence, on how right. do you use digital apps that, you know, so many people have phones today. How do you really right. use those digital apps on your smartphone for some of the worst situations that can happen in the and, household? Well, Mike,
2: let, let me th- one you, the, the great advantage New York has over almost every other place, maybe not London or a couple of places like yeah. that, if you want to build products for the world, it helps to be where the world is. New York City, when you walk down the streets, 40-odd percent of everybody you see on the street who lives here were born outside of America. Yeah. This is an entry point into America, and this is where you can find out what will sell elsewhere.
0: man I think it's something that a lot of people don't know about you, Mike, is you did the electrical engineering grind, which is a real tough grind. Let's bring If it any of the my professors news. were
2: alive today, they'd be rolling their eyes. <laughs>
0: but, but this is serious. The distance from Roosevelt Island to JFK, you know tattooed to your brain how many blocks it is. It's X number of miles. Why can't Jeff Bezos put the new Amazon platform between Cornell Tech and JFK?
2: Well, I wish he would. I don't know. It's up to New York City's government to go and make cases like that. I'm out of government. You want, are. And I want to leave. The, they don't need me meddling <laughs> in it. It would be great if Amazon Came here. I think one of the problems that we have in terms of competing is both of our airports, three if you include Newark, are over capacity already. And Amazon needs to have airports where you can fly in and out to move enormous quantities of product. Uh, We are going to pay the price for generations of not fixing that problem, of not having the infrastructure that this uh mm-hmm. the city needs we don't have great it's not it's not easy to get from LaGuardia or Newark or from uh, JFK into the central city. Other cities have built modern railroads that go out there, and we've had generation after generation of elected officials at the city and the state level who have just not made those kinds of investments. Mm. Dean Huttenlocker, describe
1: the the place for us, if you would. This is a Tom Main building. I've been up to Ithaca recently and seen Gates Hall. He designed that uh, as well, beautiful new building. When you were thinking about that facility and what it would be like and what it would do, uh, what was most important to you? How's this place going to look and feel different than, than other tech campuses around the world?
3: Yeah, so the, I think the, the thing we were trying to do both with the Bloomberg Center building and the Tom Main Design building at Cornell Tech, but also with the whole campus was really uh, uh, build an environment where we would have what we call creative collisions, where people, because we bring together engineers, computer scientists, uh, business and law students in our master's programs. So we have these very disparate disciplines that are mm-hmm. all important for developing digital age technology. And so we created a very open environment where those people who, you know, Birds of a feather flock sure. together, so you know tend to have the students right. together from the same program. This was a way to get people, students and faculty, to work across. And programs.
2: David, the design of the building is all open. You Familiar have the, with that yeah. here? <laughs> here, in, you and I have the same size yes. desks in the same room, okay. basically. Um, and that's what Tom did there. to encourage cooperation. And in this day and age, you don't do anything on your own. You do it as a group. I- I'm <laughs> waiting for when Mike's going to have another desk over at Cornell Tech. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: no. I-, I can see it coming. Daniel Hutton. I how would never get in. Cornell <laughs> Tech and, of course, Michael Bloomberg, and he is the principal owner of Bloomberg LP in this uh, radio station, I should say, as well. I want to go to another current news item. One of the most important cocktails I ever had, this was on your Amex, Mike, was at Davos with a gentleman who was thrown out of this country after graduating from Carnegie Mellon, a mate who was thrown out of this country because he didn't have the right uh, passport, etc. This new immigration tone directly affects Cornell Tech, not only faculty and visas, but also the students as well. Well,
2: we're doing this and uh, the UK is doing exactly the same thing with Brexit. I was over there two weeks ago and I had a lunch for 2018, I think it was, of our Best and the Brightest in One Little Area's the 18 people represented 17 different countries. <clears throat> That's the real world. You just have to have Dean, people from around the world who understand all the cultures if you're going to sell to those people. give cultures.
0: us a story of the visa issues you deal with with faculty. Mm-hmm. Are you already into that at Cornell Tech?
2: So it's
3: mainly with students who want to stay in the country after they graduate today mm-hmm. um, and not so much with faculty, especially around a technical sort of campus like we have. But I think this issue, uh, you know, these students come here, they create company, they want to create companies here. instead, we're sending them either back to their home country or frankly, China now has a lot of uh, foreign nationals. They are developing tech companies. Yeah. They're becoming a world leader in
2: AI. So we we in the U.K. are doing the best well, thing in the world. Even for closer China. to home, Canada. In Vancouver, there are all sorts of branch, branches of all sorts of companies. Why? Because they can't get those employees into this country, but they need those uh, employees. So Canada's benefiting from all of this stuff, and America's sitting yeah. here going down.
0: I'd point out, David, that members of our surveillance staff have had to deal with this with the services of Bloomberg L.P., Dealing with visas, as well. so what? Very quickly, or Dean, what happens the rest of the day as you dedicate? So the rest of the day Cornel today,
3: Tech. we're going to have the formal dedication ceremony. Yeah. bunch of elected officials, uh, Mike. You get Lutner.
0: thrown in the river.
2: Uh, oh, I like that <laughs> new <idea>. tradition. <laughs> the trouble is with the Boy, East Boy, River. Boy, I wish you hadn't suggested <laughs> in that. <laughs> in the East River, he'd he'd be in New Jersey or out in Southampton very quickly. Bottom well, water Thank goes you goes so there. much, thank uh, you Dean
0: Locker at Cornell Tech, and of course Mr. Bloomberg with us as well this morning. Okay. What if I said to you, let's go out and with people that have a certain amount of gazillion billion dollars under their belt, who's the best? How about this? Year to date, 95th percentile. One year, 12 months trailing, 98th percentile. Three years trailing, 91st percentile. Five years trailing, 90th percentile. It's like Vince, it's like Vince Lombardi and the Green Bay Packers. Oh. <laughs> extraordinary, extraordinary performance. Joining us now from Chicago, uh, bleeding Packers, yellow and green. David Harrow joins us on our uh, phone lines. David, have you at Oakmark? Have you ever had a run like you've had over the last one, three, and five years?
4: Well, we're about to celebrate the Oakmark International Fund's twenty-fifth anniversary uh, later. You started it
0: when you were twelve. <laughs>
4: Uh, Not quite, Tom. I was in my 30s. Yes, I was in my very, very early 30s. In fact, I was 31 years old when I started it. And so I guess you could do the the arithmetic to guess my age. But, um, you know, our objective has always been over the medium and long term to outperform the market by, you know, measurable amount, 100, 200 basis points. And so these, you know, one and two year periods to me, aren't as important as the 3, 5, 10, 15, 20, and yeah. seem to be 25. And we've been able to uh, consistently over these medium and long-term periods outperform by close to three or 400 yeah. basis points per year. So this is what we aim to do, and, and so far we've been yeah. able to achieve it over the last uh quarter century.
0: The international pot that we've seen after a quiescent international period, let's use the Packers analogy. Are we into halftime? Are we into the third quarter? Or is it, you know, two minute drill at the end of the game here for international I think, equities? Yeah,
4: that's a very good question. I think we are certainly past the first quarter. We're probably getting towards the end of the second quarter. So I think we're approaching halftime. Um, there's been a good little run in the last, uh, you know, 15, 16 months but what gives me confidence that this is nowhere near the end of the game is that earnings are accelerating, valuations are subdued. So we're kind of still just bouncing off the bottom of the earnings cycle and meanwhile you still see relatively attractive valuations of European equities, especially the financials and some of the industrials.
1: David, help now, us to go ahead,
4: yeah. Yeah, and I, w- I was just going to just throw an old thing that Tom would really be interested in this. Now, if you saw that Packer game on
0: Sunday, <laughs> oh, even <laughs> though they
4: started off down 3-zip, they handily beat the
1: Seattle Seahawks. Handily. You know. Handily. handily. Yeah. <laughs> a 12th man was nowhere to be found. Uh, David, let me ask you to help us with, with the comments that Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan made yesterday at this Barclays conference in New York. We were talking about uh, his remarks on Bitcoin a little a little while ago. Let me ask you about some comments he made about, uh, trading revenue uh, at J.P. Morgan on pace to drop about 20% uh, in the third quarter from, from a year uh, earlier. He's, he's outlining there in, in broad terms the, how challenging environment uh, this is. How worried are you about that when, when you look at banks here in the U.S. in
4: particular? Well, it depends how important that equity and fixed income trading revenue is to the overall profitability. I mean, I think clearly, even though you're going to see volumes going up just because of technology and pricing pressure, you're going to see revenues uh, be under pressure. I think for, forever almost. Um, now, you could only get so close to zero before you hit zero. And I mean, I mean, just think of what it used to cost to trade. I mean, back to my, I've uh, been here at Harris for 25 years. I mean, it was seven, eight cents a Share, uh, and you know, this is just for you know the average institutional trader, and today it's you know somewhere around a penny. And yes, volumes have picked up, so the big trading houses have been able to make up for some of this decline in the cost by significantly higher volumes brought upon by electronic and program and whatever trading. But the fees and, and the cost of doing these trades is a lot lower. So, you know, it's almost, you could, you could move without almost paying anything. So it's a lot different than it used to be, and I think uh, this is the, how the world will be. They're going to have to find other ways to make money.
1: When you look at all of the pressures on banks right now, uh, how big is is the regulatory pressure? We hear so much about uh, the need for regulatory reform from uh, certainly bankers, uh, many politicians as, as well. How much pressure is that exerting right now on the major banks?
4: I think what you're seeing, if anything, I think of the pendulum swinging back and forth, back and forth, and, and if you looked at certain periods of time when the uh, pendulum swung, aggressively towards more and perhaps over-regulation. And I think the pendulum is slowly, and I don't think it's going to be at a rapid speed, but it's going to go back more towards more realistic regulation. You know, one of the problems with Dodd-Frank, for example, is you can't have such complex uh, a regulation and have it be effective. It's just so hard to follow. I mean, you wouldn't believe the things even small investment advisors have to do. It's just too complex. It's too stagnating mm-hmm. and stifling. And so I think there needs to be reform. And I think there is a realization, you know, in the Western world that maybe the regulatory deal has gone too far. We do need regulation. But in order for regulation to be effective, it needs to be clear, yeah. transparent,
0: and simple. Within your client meetings and within the pulse of what you see in Chicago, are you really seeing the job shortage that the JOLT survey indicates? Which America do you see out there, David Harrow? Is it two Americas with a struggling America or are we really getting towards 3% GDP where there's a lot of healing going on?
4: I mean, well, it is tough, and, you know, tough to find work, tough to find skilled work. And so the problem isn't necessarily that the bodies aren't there. It's just that the bodies that are there are not do not uh, encompass, uh, encompass the proper skills. And, you know, Arthur Brooks and the American Enterprise Institute has done some really good work, you know, on this army of 20 to 30 million people, and they kind of neatly break it down. Eight or nine million of them are ex-cons, and, you know, eight or nine million might have some addiction problems, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, we're, we're not matching no. bodies with open uh, vacancies, and this is what we need to do a better job. There are, there is surplus labor, but it's surplus unskilled labor that needs some how to get skilled, oh. and this is where policymakers should be focusing, can, can, is how to get
0: these people skilled. Can you buy U.S. equities as an international play?
4: No, we work together with, you know, our domestic side of the firm to manage global accounts, and so my group kind of analyzes yeah. and manages the international portion.
0: What's your dollar dynamics mean right now? I mean, everybody got it wrong. The dollar, world is going to end, you know, I mean, the, the, the strong dollar, world's going to end, and we got a weak dollar. Is that good for you? You know what?
4: Yeah, uh, generally speaking, the the environment is somewhat benign. You know, it it is so funny how, you know, when the dollar's weakening, people just think so adaptively, and they just uh, you know take the last three months or three years. They go, now it's going to always weaken. And when the dollar starts to strengthen, oh, you know, the euro's going one to one. And what we just like to do is kind of look at fundamental price level differences and purchasing power parity. It's not uh, by any means a perfect measurement. But it does Mm -hmm. seem to be kind of the point of... Uh, you know, uh, least resistance on either side of uh, that, yeah. the currency pendulum. And, and right now, you know, the, the, the euro's still a little yeah. bit undervalued, the yen's a little bit undervalued, Swiss franc's are overvalued, but you don't see these
0: huge
4: over and undervalues right, right, right. which we've seen in the past. No. The magnitude isn't there of the imbalance.
0: Let's come back with David Harrow of Oakmark, but lots to talk about. Yes, we will. I've got a couple of emails. We will speak about the banking uh, business as well. Mr. Harrow's R-squared off the Bloomberg is a 0.73. All you need to know is he's running a portfolio that is very, very different from the underlying indices. That's something that the pros look at where it's not at all like a quote-unquote index fund as well. David, we always need to have a conversation with you about banking and particularly European banking. Do you see any consolidation to occur? Uh, There might be a few
4: things. Uh, on the horizon but I don't I don't think anything major yet given they are still just kind of in the finishing mode of cleaning up balance sheets and getting their yeah. capital positions in good shape are
0: they becoming more anglo-american
4: um anglo-american i wouldn't say quite that because you know it is a little different there um you know the banks for instance hold a great deal of sovereign debt because you know it's just it's just a little different um anglo-american yes in terms of a better focus on profitability compared to five ten fifteen years ago i mean all of europe is become is becoming better uh, as far as focusing on profitability and shareholder value, still, of course, uh, all companies need work on this. <laughs> we are constantly pushing for more of a focus on building value and shareholder value. But you know, Europe's getting better, and the banking sector is getting better. Um, I think you see the management of some of the larger institutions much better. I mean, just look at at uh, you know what's going on in the Italian banking sector—much, much better position today than a few years ago, Spanish banking sector, much better. Why? Because they've consolidated, they've cleaned up these local and co-op banks. You know, they did all the right things. Now, Germany, by the way, still needs to clean up their local banking sector, uh, given the non-economic viability of the Landesbank and what it's doing to that banking market. But the periphery markets have done this, and I think people don't quite realize how vastly different the banking sector is in places like Spain. Spain, Portugal, Italy, than where it was 10 years ago.
1: How about India, David? I know you've uh, you've gotten into Axis Bank uh, in Mumbai. Tell us a bit about that and, and sort of where you see opportunity uh, in that part of the world right now.
4: Yeah, India's had a, a few bumps along the way as a result of some fairly aggressive reforms. I mean, you've heard about the currency exchange and the new tax plan. These are things that will ultimately be good, but caused a few economic hiccups. The other thing that defines uh, the kind of the India financial sector is the heavy presence again, of the state banking sector. And, you know, as you would imagine, the state banks are a lot less profitable, a lot more poorly run, a lot less shareholder focused, uh, occupy over half the banking market. And I think the government realizes this and wants the private banking sector to absorb, you know, a greater market share. And Axis Bank is one of these banks. We think it's very well run and has good exposure to growing India. Um, and you know the only thing for us to worry about is if for some reason the government would want to tip the scales the other way, favor the the big inefficient state banking sector, and at this stage it looks like the government is tipping the scales the other way. So India still has um, a lot of potential. Its growth rate has been substantially lower than that of China, and I think it's mostly a function of their inability to push infrastructure projects through. Um, If they ever do employ the necessary reforms to allow more infrastructure there is no reason yeah. why india couldn't grow 5 6 7 8 9 10% consistently over yeah. the next decade
0: david you mentioned the decades of work you've done for oakmark this is a question that's been running through our investment discussions this week are you as diversified as you used to be mm. You know, I remember, you know, John Merceneau and Fidelity 50 and the Sequoia people and the whole uproar about owning 250 stocks down to 150 stocks down to 12 or whatever. Make it a joke. But, you know, you get the idea. Are you are you less diversified than you used to be? No, we
4: may be a little bit more. I'm just somewhere on my desk. is the prospectus of the first Oakmark interview. Yeah, yeah pick, up the, pick up the Green Bay
0: Packers, you know, press oh, guide. Right it's under there. Right,
4: here it is right here. Oh, annual report, October 31st, 1992. Now, we at all of Harris Associates and Oakmark, we are believers in concentration. So yeah. what you will often see is the top ten names represent somewhere around or above 30% of the portfolio. Yeah. And I'm looking at this very first portfolio. It was two. It was one month old. And I think there were just a couple million dollars in assets. Yeah. And it, it, there were probably less names than what we have today. Okay. But you know, it was a much, yeah. much. You know, I'm talking about three. It was five. That 000, was know, twenty million dollars. That was
0: back season, when the Packers were good, right? The Packers,
4: <clears throat> Tom. You are. You know what? I'm going to invite you to oh, Minnesota good. this year oh, and, that. And wow. for so the good. Super Bowl. When you see the Packers, I don't know who they're going to play. Everyone thinks it's going to be the Patriots. It's possible, but I don't know. Yeah. We're just wondering who that opponent's going to be in the AFC uh, up in Minnesota.
0: You're killing me. I'll David, Errol, thank you that. so much. Congratulations, David. Seriously, <laughs> on when International was underperforming, real persistence and stick-to-itiveness, and then just the excellence of track record of Oakmark International. Something bold. Those of you on a Bloomberg Terminal, OAKIX Equity. Will migrate you there. O a k i x, Mister Harrow, out of Chicago and Green Bay. Joining us now uh, from Loop Ventures, Gene Munster, someone we'd like to speak to uh, uh, on Apple and was uh, work at Piper Jaffrey for the years. Gene, just to get started, what is Loop Ventures? I think a lot of our uh, loyal Wall Street listeners want to know what Gene Munster's doing now after decades at Piper Jaffrey.
5: We are a uh, venture capital firm that's focused on artificial intelligence, robotics, and augmented reality. And so, we're continuing to write research. So, we got a team of analysts, uh, a lot of them the same guys, uh, people that I worked with in the past. So, that's what we're doing.
0: Why do I need augmented reality? I seem to be glued to my iPhone. What is it? What is AR? And what's it mean for me, particularly when I see the failure of VR to get any kind of demand
5: going? AR is a seamless way to interact with a computer or a machine. And so think of your smartphone today. The way you interact with a smartphone is a touchscreen. And in the future with AR, just by having either picking up your phone or by some form of a wearable, it will make it just seamless for you to uh, access information. So it'll just get easier.
1: Are we standing at some sort of pres- precipice here? We watched yesterday as uh, we saw the, uh, the, the fits and starts of the face recognition on the, uh, the iPhone at the event in Cupertino yesterday. Uh, where are we in terms of this being uh, more widely accepted, indeed more widely
5: adopted? It's uh, the next 10 years we're going to see a shift. And what we'll see over the next five years is more of the iPhones and and more phones in general, Google just came out with a platform called uh, uh, ARCore, and so that's doing the same thing as Apple's AR Kit. But to answer your question is that we're going to see more of these AR features get built into phones, and that's going to make it more appealing for developers to build applications that we can't live without, AR applications that we can't live without. Eventually, that's going to slowly transform to some form of a wearable, some form of glasses. Think of Google yeah, glasses that actually yeah. have some value to them. Oh, God,
0: you're killing me. You know, you leave Piper Jeffrey <laughs> and it's like you've drunk the, uh, the like, come on, Gene. What's it mean for margins? You're one of the pe- re- people who have kept people in the Apple story when they go, it can't go on, it can't go on. And you had the courage to say, yeah, it is going to go on. Do you have that same enthusiasm right now?
5: I do, and I was just looking back at the one of the, the themes today is this higher price phone, for example, and that 's going to be the story over the next year or two years is how the adoption of that 's going to be, and the, the general sense is no one 's going to pay a thousand dollars, but looking back ten years ago, the first year of the iPhone, the ASPs were five hundred and sixty dollars last year it was six hundred and fifty dollars. So it went up, call it, 20% over a period where tech prices go down. This is defined the laws of physics of pricing. And so when we think about the ability for a company to extract more value, higher ASPs, higher margins from consumers... Apple wrote the book, and so I'm confident that, in fact, uh, as far as the story is going to do concerned, it will continue. There may be some sell-off in the near term as people trade around the product cycle and some of the delays, but I think more holistically the company is in a good position.
1: What's your sense of how the margins change with this this new phone? So much has been made of that price tag, a phone costing more than $1,000, as Tom and I have discussed uh, on the show here. A lot of people paying that out uh, in installments, not really having to reckon with that $1,000-plus that price tag. Uh, here. What does it mean for Apple's margins?
5: So it means that they're going to dip for this quarter. They always dip in the quarter where they launch a product. So you can kind of, uh, that's more or less uh, as expected. But overall, we expect the margins to increase. So for the March quarter of uh, next year, we kind of have 40% uh, gross margins or and uh, that's up from 38%. So we see a movement higher in their gross margins.
0: I mean, within this gene, is, is the brilliance of getting on almost a fee basis of 45 or $52 a month, whatever it's going to be. Uh, Walt Pisek said the other day 80% of the phones are going to be bought in this. Is Apple becoming almost an annuity company? Is it becoming a completely different cash flow beast than it was five or ten years ago?
5: It is, and it takes time to educate investors about that. Uh, but that's exactly right. Is the price so is, the, cycle... is the price doing the
0: education?
5: I think what's doing the education is investors just see year in, year out, that margins are holding in there, that ASPs are holding in there, are going up, and uh, they see that demand, even though it has some fluctuations, is relatively stable. So I think that uh, stability equates higher multiples that investors are willing to pay, and investors are slowly recognizing that Apple's hardware is acting more like a services business.
1: We're going to come back here with Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. I want to point out, you want to get we your We get pet-
0: more with Gene Munster?
1: Yeah, get your yes. Get- Get your pencils out because Gene Munster has made his Apple model available to Bloomberg uh, users. You can access that by doing AAPL, equity, M-O-D-L, uh, go on the Bloomberg. AAPL, equity, M-O-D-L, uh, go on the Bloomberg. Uh, we showcased this during the uh, special yesterday on Bloomberg Television. It was available on Bloomberg Radio uh, as well. Incredibly useful uh, I think both for the buy side and the sell side, put in your own, uh, <laughs> make your own modifications there to this itemized model. But thanks very much to Gene Munster for making that available to us. You, did you watch the event yesterday, Tom? Or you sort of, you're not into the I'm, fanboys. I'm not stuff.
0: a fanboy. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I just, I, what I'm into is the engineering. And, you know, we could talk to Gene about it if you want. This MODL thing is way cool. But but it's, it's just, it's just it, it, the whole, it's been for like 20 years. Stop it. It's an incredible toy, and it's made a ton of money. Everybody uses it. Who doesn't? (laughs) The death of
1: Apple. There you go.
0: Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. David Gura is at David Gura. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.